Hello and welcome to For and Against, where we look at the big issues in sport off the field of play, where we take sport seriously, sometimes. It's Paul Roach with you here, and I am today joined by, well, the usual For and Against suspects, actually, in Simon Johnson. G'day, Jono. Great to be here, Richie. And Stephen Riley. G'day, Riles. G'day, Paul. G'day, Simon. G'day, everyone. Uh, in the show coming up, we'll look at the vexed issue of concussion in sport, and we'll shortly be talking to an expert in that field. The live issue of Live Golf continues to inspire us, and we also contemplate the Bledisloe. As always, we conclude the show with Red Card, Yellow Card, where the missteps and misdemeanors of sports players and the like, uh, they get dragged back into, uh, into the spotlight here on For and Against. If you spot one, if you spot a Red Card, Yellow Card, use the hashtag RCYC, and uh, we'll check and, you know, never know, yours might be included in the show. Speaking of the socials, you can find us on Twitter at For and Against underscore. Uh, on Insta or at four dot and dot against. However, for now, let's get into the show. Fans of rugby league will need no introduction to Mario Fennec, a tough front rower from the 80s and 90s who played for Souths and then the Bears and who had passing fame on TV after his playing days were done. Those who don't follow league may be interested to learn that it's the Maltese Mario who gave rise to the term Falcon being used when one is hit on the head by the ball, as he seemed to cop more than his fair share of not knowing where the ball was, only for it to land on his bonce. Well, look, I mean, there's some sad irony to this with Fennec uh, recently revealing he has early onset dementia in his early 60s as a consequence, presumably, of knocks to the head, Jono. Yeah, really sad story, isn't it, Rochi? Um, some of the pictures and video we've seen coming out recently are quite tragic. I, I think it was announced probably three or four years ago that Mario had, had early onset dementia, but it looks like that has taken hold quite severely. You also see you know, stories of various other players of his generation and earlier generations like Steve Mortimer and George Piggins also mm-hmm. struggling with similar issues. Steve, as fans of rugby league in the 80s and 90s ourselves growing up, uh, it's kind of a bit confronting to see some of these heroes of our childhood, at least early adulthood, uh, coming to these sort of stages, of their regrettable stages of their life. Yeah, look, I think it's interesting. We've turned a bit of a corner, though, where we used to sort of make fun of someone taking too many hits to the head. And now I think we're recognising it for, for what it is, which you know is increasingly a tragedy. Well, look, to delve deeper into this sensitive topic, we are joined by Professor Alan Pearce, who, amongst other credentials, is a director of Neurosports Labs and adjunct professor at the Australian Sports Brain Bank. Uh, Alan, welcome to the show. G'day. Thanks for having me on. Alan, before we get into the subject of concussion in sport itself, perhaps you might like to tell us a little bit about both Neurosports Labs and also the Australian Sports Brain Bank and, and their two purposes. Yeah, look, I, I guess I've been involved in concussion and also related to that chronic encephalopathy, which we'll talk about later on, for about 15 years now. And uh, sort of part of the where I've sort of come to now in terms of trying to get scientific funding has, has always been very difficult. So uh, I launched with some colleagues, uh, including an ex uh, ARL player from Illawarra Steelers from the 90s, uh, who I worked with at La Trobe University, Craig Patch. We started Neurosports Labs uh, last year to as a consultancy and as a as a research laboratory, professional research laboratory, to try and keep the uh, the research going. Um, and that's how Neurosports Labs was born. And then part of my work with in CTE, I collaborate with 
Associate Professor Michael Buckland from the Royal Prince Alfred Hospital, and uh, you know he, he was the director of the Australian Sports Brain Bank. So down in Melbourne here, I do some uh, I do the sort of the liaison for mostly Australian rules football players, um, but yeah, sort of the Victorian liaison uh, and research manager. Alan, we're um, extremely lucky to have you on, uh, given how unbelievably well-credentialed you are in this space. Um, you mentioned at the outset, I'm not even going to try and pronounce it, I, I've tried chronic traumatic encephal... How, how do you say it? Encephalopathy. Encephalopathy, um, so yeah. CTE, is, as we all now, now know yeah. it, it's becoming obviously more well-known. But <laughs> for those that, that don't know too much about it, um, I guess, can you tell us a little bit how it uh, attacks the brain and... and uh, you know what role contact sports plays in that? Yeah, so like like you had in the introduction, you know, it, essentially it's part of the dementia family of, of diseases, uh, and so CTE sort of presents like Alzheimer's disease, but there are some real fundamental differences. So CTE results from essentially from a trauma to the brain, physical trauma to the brain. It's it the research that we've done. Oh, just well in in earnest for the last sort of 15 years but we've, we're you know going right back into the 1950s where chronic traumatic encephalopathy was first touted as a, as, a, as a name it's it's what happens when you get physical trauma to the brain repeatedly that there's this release of a protein called tau and tau is actually quite important for the brain. It, it keeps the, the brain cells or the neurons, uh, their structure. But if it gets released outside of the brain cell, mm. then it becomes toxic and it starts to kill the, the brain cell. So in Alzheimer's disease, we don't really know exactly how tau is released. I think if we, if we do find out, then we, we'll have a cure for Alzheimer's. Um, but what happens is that it starts in the deeper part of the brain, whereas CTE actually starts on the outer parts of the brain. And so this is why you see some differences in terms of behavioural different changes in football players, uh, particularly younger ones, um, whereas in Alzheimer's it tends to be more memory-based. Uh, so there are some sort of similarities, but there's some fundamental differences as well between the two diseases. So, uh, again, as I said, the the essential aspect of this is that it's physical trauma that releases the towel, then that becomes toxic. So what does it mean for sport at large? I mean, should we be letting kids play? Should we be stopping it? Or, you know, is it just a case of everyone should have have headgear? Well, okay, yeah, there's a little bit there to, to <laughs> unpack. So we, we know that CTE is a disease of exposure. CTE and concussion are kind of two parallel issues, but are, are actually distinctly different you know we we have cases of cte where there is not a single concussion recorded in that athlete and and soccer is probably the best example of that where we mm. see a number of soccer players now with early dementia as well who essentially as a result of of, of um heading the ball and so you know we we, we see that right through different sports in different regions of the world that it seems to be a case of, of exposure rather than concussions per se. So one of the things that we're trying to address is whether kids should be uh, playing contact sports. And we can talk about that a little bit more down the track in terms of, of you know, the politics around that, because that's obviously a very emotive concern that we have. But if we can reduce the exposure time, then, you know, you can reduce the risk of CTE by probably almost tenfold. Uh, because for every decade of, of repeated head trauma, 
your risk goes up by about three and a half to five times for every decade. Mm. So, you know, it just compounds. And, and it's very much like um, smoking. You know, the, more you, the longer you smoke, the greater your risk of cancers. Um, and it's very similar and sort of patent to that. The other thing too is that helmets actually don't protect the brain. And that's one of the biggest myths around ah. in concussion and CT is that, and, and we've known for decades that helmets have no protection for the brain. What helmets do is they protect the skull from fractures and, and lacerations. You know, I'm, I, I ride a bike, I'm a mammal, and, and irrespective of the laws, I would still wear a helmet for, to protect my, my skull, but I do know that, you know, if I did come off the bike, I could still be concussed. Mm. Uh, and, and that's something that we, we do need to, you know, try and communicate, I guess, more widely and uh, because everyone thinks that helmets might be the, uh, the solution to the problem and, and it's not, unfortunately. Where do, mo- where do motor racing drivers fit into this, Alan? I'm sure they're a very, very small sample of the athletes you see, but as a bit of a rev head myself and what you just yes. said then about helmets, I, you've got me very curious suddenly as to what you find uh, in, in motor racing drivers? I think there's only been a few cases in America with uh, CTE recorded in um, racing car drivers. Um, and again, that's just because it just hasn't had the sample to really look at. Yeah. Um, but, you know, a lot of the, the shaking in the car could possibly, we, we don't really know what that threshold is. Mm. Um, we have seen cases of CTE in unusual sports so um obviously wrestling is is one you know professional wrestling there has been a case of ct in head banging from you know the, the rock and roll sort mm. of head banging yes uh there's been uh all uh, understands as, we're, we're, we're looking at paul we're checking him for symptoms constantly as, as, I as think. an ac yeah, yeah. as an acdc fan yeah sorry alan go on would you like to sign up for the brain bank while we're here? <laughs> um, I may have to. <laughs> and we've seen CTE of, of epilepsy as well, probably more so from, you know, when, when someone has a seizure and they're, they're sort of hitting their head on the floor when they have a seizure uh, and, and are probably a little bit more serious, but we've, we've seen obviously CTE in, in um, military veterans uh, and uh, there's a concern in domestic violence as well. So that's so it's right across the board. You know, across, a, a, you know, a bunch of different activities and, and situations. I'm really um, interested, Alan. I guess in drilling down into, I guess what some of the particular codes have been doing mm. to address this issue, and I guess whether you think some of those measures have been effective or have gone far enough. And I, I guess I want to ask you specifically about rugby league because we we kicked off talking about Mario Fennec. And from my perspective, I mean, I look at those guys who are heroes of mine growing up. Not necessarily Mario himself, but certainly a lot of players in those eras. If we look at the hard men in league these days, the Jared Warrior Hargraves, the Junior Paul. The pain Huss, they're obviously in 15 or 20 years' time. You know, there is that genuine concern that they're going to be in a similar situation. We now know so much more than we did 20 years ago. We have made some changes in rugby league. We obviously have the concussion protocol, we have the independent doctors who are, are looking at these people. To what extent does it work and to what extent doesn't it work? And I guess, what do you think we can do better and more of? Okay, so this is probably where I'll get a little bit controversial in the fact that sports like the NRL and AFL, you know, addressing concussion, and that's, you know, that that's great. But as I said before, concussion isn't necessarily the driver for CTE. The driver for CTE that when we talk about the Mario Phoenix, we talk about um, the Steve Folkses, you know, the, the other the older players down the track, 20 or 30 years down the track after retiring um, or even 10 years, you know, we might, you know, we start to see some 
behavioural changes, cognitive impairments starting to, to filter out. And that's because of the repetitive exposure to the brain. And so I'm not really sure what the solution is other than to try and reduce the exposure in kids. Um, we do know that, you know, rugby players in particular, both union and league, have increased physically, you know, musculoskeletal, you know, physical mass by 25%. I think there's been some research now showing in some of the 1980s that, that players are now 25% bigger than what they were in the 1980s. And that's that obviously if you if you use you know Newtonian laws of you know force equals mass times acceleration, that increases the amount of, of force that is just going through time and time again. And obviously, you know, with bigger muscles, bigger bones, bigger structure, you know, there's there are still organs that actually haven't changed and we don't want them to change. You know, you don't want a heart 25% bigger because that's that's you know not good. And, and the brain hasn't hasn't increased by 25% or any protective mechanism, you know, in terms of of that sort of evolution either. So you're hitting harder and and more often, and so the brain is going to be getting affected, and that's the concern. So what what has happened, uh, particularly in the UK, I'm not sure if you, you're aware, but they've uh, World Rugby have tried to well have actually um, reduced contact training to 15 minutes per week maximum, right, to try and the amount of contact exposure really? so in a, you have to go for it you know but in uh in monday to friday training it's mandated that they only do you know no more than 15 minutes of contact training so and that and that actually came from uh, a really uh, good case study from uh, the i think it's the harlequins who you know were, were very very old school uh rugby union uh team they they in, engaged in some technology using accelerated mouth guards with tech in it to, to measure impacts. What they were finding was that the players were were training, you know, really hard, but physically contacted hard and, and going into matches basically hmm. fatigued. And, you know, they completely reversed their, their season from being bottom of the ladder to winning the premiership just by having fresher players on the weekends. And so that kind of prompted the... Uh, world rugby to go well okay i think we need to try and reduce the amount of contact for everyone just for their own health and, and um, welfare wow so they were thinking straight so they were able to think more clearly on the field that's amazing yeah, now, yeah i um yeah. I, I don't know that i really want to go here um but uh, but i will and you, you mentioned it earlier I, I i want to move on from these pretend sports of of league and union and talk professional wrestling um, okay. i knew this you know happen. they <laughs> <laughs> well, one of you, you know, perhaps the most famous sort of person in this field is is Chris Nowinski, who I used to watch wrestle with, uh, you know, WWE, and uh, yeah, well, and it's really interesting to have seen his journey and com- him coming around. But you know, I know about four or five years ago there was a, a big lawsuit in the states where and I, th- I think I'm right about this, it was dismissed because at the time there was no evidence that the WWE knew that the plaintiffs were wrestling, that concussions or head blows could cause CTE. Now, it's pretty hard to deny that now, and I've seen over the, the last five years a few moves disappear from, from, the, from you know, common usage, mm. but they, they can't stake that claim anymore, can they? No, and and uh, I think the the next test everyone's looking at at the moment 
to get back to not to get back to rugby, but you know, I'm pulling rugby back okay. into it. Okay, but, it's okay. You can go there. Paul, Paul will feel better. <laughs> We're yeah. with you, Alan. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll get back to wrestling in a moment, but the oh, cool. everyone's now at World Rug uh, the class action against World Rugby in the UK because the test now is is whether whether the sports did know, you know, because uh, as you said, you know, WWE won their case because they were you know, obviously there wasn't enough evidence that showed that they knew or they, you know, that they were hiding the fact that they were being, you know, deceitful. Around the same time, uh, the National Hockey League, ice hockey, won their, their claim against the players uh, on a similar outcome as well. So it's, it's, it's really interesting to know whether, you know, it's very hard. It seems to be very hard to prove that, a lot of the sports knowingly deceived their athletes in terms of, you know, brain brain trauma and, and whether this actually was known or not. Even though we've actually known since 1928 that repetitive blows to the head causes pathology. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, the term punch drunk actually comes from the research paper called Punch Drunk by Harrison Martland in mm-hmm. 1928. Mm-hmm. It's just whether doctors involved in these sports at the time actually did enough professional development to read up on it or not. <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, and to be honest, I don't think that they did, but that's not their fault. Alan, <laughs> uh, last question. So all this, this work you're doing on the research and so forth, how are Australian codes reacting to that? Because I, I suppose on, on one hand, some of the things that you and your peers are finding uh, is a bit um, uh, challenging, I suppose, the way certain sports are played, the way certain sports are administered, the way certain sports are marketed. So do you find some sports more receptive than others to, to what the message that you have and, and you know, how would you, how would you like to see Australian sport generally proceeding from here, if that's not too general and grand a question? Uh, look, I mean, that's, yeah, that's a really good question because if you talk to all the sports now, they're, they're saying that they've, Pretty much ticked the box, and they've they've dealt with the issue. And uh, uh, even if you talk to a number of media people or journalists, they, you know, they say, "Oh, look, you know, I don't know why we're still worried about this." The, the AFL or NRL or whoever have have, have sorted it out. Um, and and as as I said before, you know, uh, what they've sorted or what they've you know the optics has been that uh, they've bring brought in the twelve day rule or the eleven day rule depending on what sport it is. And I find that quite interesting because they're apparently seeing the same science, but one's come to 11 days, one's come to 12. So who knows exactly what they're looking at. But what we're, we're, still, we're still not really addressing the, the elephant in the room in terms of this exposure. And so I think the sports want to try and do something, but they just don't know what to do without having to fundamentally uh, revisit these sports and maybe you know have to modify them in some way, um, and I think that that is a real worry for them because if you start to, I guess, change the uh, the DNA of these sports mm. in terms of their physicality, then people might not you know want to come and watch. Mm. Um, and I'm a neuroscientist, so it's not really my problem. But my <laughs> problem is that lots and lots of players come into the into my lab. Um, who are absolute, you know, wrecks um, mm. and, and just don't know what to do or who to see or, or you know, because a lot of them are discarded mm. um, and, and uh, almost sort of forgotten about by their own, their clubs and their, and their sports. Which is presumably why you're, uh, you're happy to come on shows like this and other places in the media to uh, 
to give that side of the story. So, um, Alan, we really appreciate yeah. your time on uh, on For and Against. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it. Professor Alan Pierce, adjunct professor at the College of Science, Health and Engineering at La Trobe University. So, folks of all ages, please be careful out there on the uh, on the footy fields and the sporting fields of life. On to the shootout now, and uh, Jono, you have managed to wrangle golf into the equation yet again. You assure me that there's something other than that bloke Smith actually winning a live tournament. What do you mean wrangle? This is the biggest, one of the biggest sports stories mm. going on right now off the field of play, Rochi. So can I give you an update from the front line? Of this war, do, can I? I I'm, a, I'm a war do correspondent. I have a choice? War oh, correspondent. War and here we are. We cross now to Simon, who's uh, in the bunker, the live bunker. Pre- pretty much. I mean, this is we described it before as you know a, a war for the heart and soul of golf, and and it's ongoing, Richie. It's mm. a war of attrition. Um, so developments in recent times. Yes, Cam Smith has signed. Yes, he did win one of his tournaments. Um, so there's been a few other big names who have signed. Um, the parties on the live private jet are getting wilder. So Dustin Johnson <laughs> cool. and his wife Paula Gretzky have been getting up to no good on the private jet. So that's all fun and games. There is the, a live private jet. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, there is. Cool. The uh, the social media posts from Greg Norman are getting more yeah. and more interesting and and entertaining. But. Look, as far as what, what's been happening, what has the PGA's reaction been? Mm, and mm-hmm. this has been really genuinely quite interesting. So um, they've made some you know, legal moves. So they've, uh, they're defending the proceedings that, that Liv have commenced. And that litigation is happening over in the US and won't be heard until next year. And that has risen because they've kicked these players off their tour. So if you sign for Liv, you can't play on the PGA. At the moment, you can play in the majors, as we know, but only if you qualify. And the issue there is they're not giving world ranking points um, to players who play in the live tournaments. But the really interesting stuff that happened quite recently is there's been a counteroffensive in this war. Mm. And the counteroffensive is they've announced a bunch of new initiatives. So they've. They so being. They if, being the PGA. Ah, so right. it's the Empire Strikes Back, if you like. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure who, who's the Empire in this, uh, in this war. PGA, surely. Surely. Um, they've increased prize money. They've suddenly found an extra, um, I think, 400 mil US in, the, in their back pocket. So that's. Um, Had that's a look been down the couch. I think so. They've instituted a series of limited field no-cut events for the top players and also those players who rank highly on their social media scale, which we've talked oh, about yeah. before. Mm. And then they've introduced the, this thing called TGL, which I haven't quite worked out. It must be, and Riles, you might know this, but I think it must be the Golf League or, or something like that. But it's a, a Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy-initiated competition. It's going to be on Monday nights. It's aimed at young kids, and it will be in an arena which you can come in and watch, and it'll involve a virtual screen. So you hit a golf ball into a virtual screen, and then you'll move to a short game complex where there'll be a little bit of pitching and putting, aiming for a younger market. It basically is you know, ripping off a whole bunch of the things that Live Golf is doing to try and appeal to a younger market. So, look, it's uh, I don't know if it's the right move. Um, it'd be fascinating to see how it plays out. But, Riles, what do you think about, about this war? <laughs> There, there is so much. I love, I love when you get going. It's hard to stop you, son. Um, <laughs> look, a, a couple of things that I think need to be noted up front. Yeah, you know, you'll hear us, you know, call it when we called it, and and I hope you hear us call it when we don't. So I, I will just point out that I was very, very adamant that Cam Smith, you know, Australian mm. hero, would never ever join the Live Golf Tour. Um, yep. So wrong, so wrong. And it turns out now that Cam Smith has won his uh, first tournament with Liv and earned more money in uh, winning that than he'd ever earned in any other event. Mm. Um, And he still gets to play the majors. 
he's probably he's probably his logic was probably pretty sound. Yeah, I think as far as the the stadium golf, the TGL stuff. Look, I don't know. I I sort of feel it's a bit of a desperation move. I mean, if you go to you know your local uh, golf shop at the moment, you can often find there's a screen there where you can you know play St Andrews. You know, you you hit the ball and into the net and the net records how far you've hit it and, it and it does some pretty cool stuff. It's a it's a walk-in video game and you can play St Andrews. That's what they're doing. They've, it, it, the closest I think to it is really motocross where they bring the the great big, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the, the jumps of a motorbike race into a stadium. This is stadium golf mm-hmm. that they've tried to make work. And I, but I just worry it's going to come across as quite cheap and anticlimactic. Anyone left at the PGA? There's Rory and Tiger I keep hearing yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Um, Justin Thomas. I mean, they've got uh, out of the world's top 20 at the moment, um, I think only two um, mm. as, as the world's top 20 was before they stopped losing world ranking points. So it's Dustin Johnson and Cam Smith. But the rest of them are still playing on the PGA. But what, what Liv have done, which I think in hindsight is a really smart move, they've gone for big personalities um, who probably previously – had won a lot of majors. They may not be at the absolute peak of their game, but they have brand recognition not mm. only in the US but around the world. They're cherry picking players from Europe, from obviously from the US, which is you know where they started with it all with Phil Mickelson in Australia. There's talk that they're going to get Hideki Matsuyama, um, which would carve out Asia for them as well. I mean, I, I think my, my take on how it could potentially play out is, I mean, I think they'll go their own ways for a year, a couple of years, but there's going to have to be a truce at some point. I, I I just don't think golf can survive where you have these two different sports effectively going at each other. And I think there will have to be potentially some time carved out of the calendar each year. And so in the same way that the IPL gets Mm. a month or two months a year, you know, they can each play in each other's tournaments, but two months of the year or maybe three months, depending on how much money the the Saudis throw at it, is for for live. Well, uh, John, I think that your live golf rations for another month that's so it for he, the year he, is he, it or? he's hoping we don't have to talk about this uh next next show <laughs> you wish paul <laughs> I, I i do steve uh so if you watch the first bledisloe you might be loosely aware that the wallabies lost by this much after a controversial refereeing decision right on the bell now that's been dissected to death that decision itself but just to give you some insight into the far-reaching repercussions of that decision. Uh, I went to a rugby lunch the following day, put on by the Emerge Foundation, who do some great work in educating people in um, uh, less economically developed uh, places, and particularly East Timor at the present, and I have never heard a single incident referenced so many times at a single event as that refereeing decision was <laughs> on that particular and, across two or three enough. hours. And fair enough. It's, um, it was hosted by Clarkey, and, you know, the former Fox Sports guys. Uh, there was a panel of a few people. There was uh, Hamish McLennan turned up to do a bit of a bit of a talk. Um, and look, given the nature of the end, I can't attribute things to, to individual, rules, individual people. It, it was. Go. But I think it's fair to say that the theme of that decision was bizarre. Mm. Quote unquote. It certainly was, wasn't it? And French referee, maybe it was revenge for uh, what we did to them with the submarines. <laughs> we can blame ScoMo for the whole thing, potentially. I don't know. I yeah. mean, it, also, it was on a Thursday night. That was an unusual well, one. The scheduling, it? this is ultimately the, the, the point, the, more, the bigger point to yeah, talk about. Yeah, I mean, about. Down, down in Melbourne, and big call from the ARU, this is the marquee game. 
it's the home Bledisloe game, and we've sent it down to Melbourne to be played on a Thursday night. I must say, I, I think the ARU, you know, lost a trick there. They got a full house, though, I think. Steve, did it ever occur to you to, to toddle along? It, it did, but I couldn't make it, I'm afraid. But I, I think, Simon, you've got to be kidding yourself. That it's, this is the sporting capital of the universe, so if you really want to play a big sporting event, this is the place to come. Midweek is not a crazy idea. Three of the top four sporting um, mm. rating events of the year are played on a Wednesday usually, mm. right? So, you know, Origin can do it. Rugby was really smart to get out of the line of fire of the AFL and NRL finals. They drew 53,000 people to a packed Marvel Stadium. The atmosphere, I'm told, by a, a bunch of people, you know, a whole lot of people I knew you went, and they loved it, despite despite rugby's great weakness, which is, is refereeing. They loved it. And the inscrutableness of the rules. Well, there you go. Maybe it's an experiment. They'll just have to try again. On to red card, yellow card now, our favourite part of the show where, uh, as I said at the outset, we get to remind our fans of some of the things that sporting people did that they would rather they didn't. They would rather that we forget about. But it's our job to make sure that we don't forget about it. Uh, Steve-O, what's your nomination for red card, yellow card for this show? All righty. Well, I am taking our rules that, that we only deal with sport off the field of play quite literally here because I'm nominating... Connor Maseko. Now, Connor Maseko, you might not be familiar with. John and I are looking at each other in a way that suggests that we don't. Do go on. <laughs> so he he's a goalkeeper in England for uh, the ninth tier. What? Blackfield and Langley Club ninth tier, and I'm pretty sure that's as low as you can so go. A, but I really should group. just. I should have done my research a bit further. Remember, the FA Cup is one of the great sporting events on the planet where. Yeah, your local church team could end up playing at Wembley in the FA Cup final. Well, <laughs> unfortunately, Blackfield and Langley did get knocked out in their first round qualifying match, and partly because in the 76th minute, their goalkeeper was shown a red card. Now, that sounds like I'm getting into reportage mm. of on-field uh, sport, uh, but no, he was sent off for urinating in a hedge. Oh, dear. Ah. <laughs> during the game. Donnie Ball's McKinnon out, style. You know, for a goal kick. He's gone to get it. He's felt he needed to uh, take a quick break. <laughs> the referee said, you, you can't do that. You're off. You're off. I don't know. Ninth division. <laughs> so, literally, I'm nominating Con Maseko for a red card. Fair enough. Was he the famous Don McKinnon, wasn't it? The North yeah. Sydney Bears back in the 80s. Uh, he was on the field of play. Mm. Uh, I think the TV cameras might have might have caught that happening. But, yeah, look, it could happen to anyone, right? Hey, dude. He, he took a knee. Yeah, I remember that. Very classy. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Red card there for that nomination from Steve-O. What do you got there, Jono? Oh, look, uh, Rochi, it's a pretty easy one for me. This uh, this show, I couldn't look past Wayne Carey. I mean, uh, it just has to be raised, yeah. doesn't it? I mean, he's uh, we could almost have a whole segment devoted to Wayne and his travails over the years. I'm not going to mention all of the history because it is uh, pretty un- unsavoury mm. with, with Wayne, but I, I do think it's worth devilling into the detail, as we say, of uh, precisely what happened at the Crown Casino recently. Let's. Because uh, it has been a hot minute, I think, since he's had his uh, most recent controversy before that. He's out and about. Uh, I don't know if whether it was uh, Blackjack or uh, Roulette, mm. but anyway, he's, uh, 
he's having a little gamble, and I suspect he might have, you know, gone to pull out another chip or a wallet or something. Another hunch. Another hunch, and a little plastic bag with white powder just happens to drop out onto the blackjack slash roulette table. Mm. Awkward. Mm. Um, the croupier calls security, he's escorted out. Now, Wayne claims that the bag contained anti-inflammatory medication. He said that he offered for the sample to be tested, and I quote, they just said it's not a great look, I understood that, and so I left without incident. Nothing to see here, according to Wayne. So Wayne has lost all of his media gigs. He's been banned from Crown. I think the police are investigating. I I doubt that'll go too far. Potentially, there's not a lot of evidence. It's good to understand finally where the networks draw the line at having uh, what the what the indiscretion someone has sure, to have in their past yeah, yeah. before they don't get uh, they get they get cut off from that lifeline. But anyway, it's got a long rap sheet. But to top it all off, uh, and this look, I'm not sure if you're sure this this part of it. Wayne has engaged lawyers who are exploring his legal options, including a potential disability discrimination claim, oh, on the basis wow. that these were. Prescription drugs. Now, call me cynical, Rochi. I know you'd never, you'd never do that. You're cynical, Joe. Wayne, Wayne could be, could be right. Maybe these anti-inflammatories were indeed for his pain relief. Maybe they just happened to need to be crushed up into, into white powder. Who doesn't in, in crush a, up their Panadol, Jono? In, in a small plastic bag. I, yeah. I just don't know. <laughs> I think it's time to dish out a card uh, to the lawyers. To the lawyers? Yeah, for taking on the case. Oh, surely Wayne gets a red. Oh, I think Wayne gets a red <laughs> and the lawyers a yellow. Okay. All right, yeah. Fair enough. Look, in the ultimate menagerie matchup, the first week of AFL finals, and look what a set of four games that was, just quietly, featured the Tigers versus the Lions. Circus promoter's dream. Uh, which, of course, can't happen in the actual wilderness, owing to these two beasts residing in different continents, but nonetheless. Uh, and so what a tussle that game was, and it came down to the wire with Brisbane just managing to scrape home against Richmond. And within seconds of victory sealed, as is customary in Aussie rules in the AFL, cue the team song of the victorious side. Only this time, a mistake was made. Some fat fingers, perhaps, and out came the first bar or two of Tigerland even though they were the vanquished before order was very quickly restored and We Are the Pride of Brisbane Town, sung somewhat oddly to the tune of the Marseillaise, quickly rang out. We uh, have heard a lot of Tigerland over the past few years. so That's true. That's true. Maybe it's just a reflex reaction by the audio person just assumed that, that it was another rendition. But, um, yeah, we got plenty of publicity at the time. You had to be sort of fairly quick to notice it, but it was just enough was played to go, whoa, that, did that really happen? Definitely a yellow. Yeah, maybe even a yellow and black. And uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Steve. With that ringing endorsement from my colleague Stephen Riley, it's time to wrap the show up. So uh, it's goodbye to you, Steve O. See you, Paul. See you, Simon. See you, everyone. Goodbye, Simon Johnson. See you, Richie. And uh, don't forget, folks, you can get us on Twitter at for and against underscore or on Insta for dot and dot against. But for now, it's goodbye for me, Paul Roach. We'll see you again in a fortnight's time. Bye for now. 